Hi and welcome. This is your host, Beth Gosho. Today you're going to hear from Nadine. Nadine just lost her mom in September of 2020. Nadine was put in charge as the strong one during her mom's 50-week cancer journey. Nadine has since found that humor helps her express her grief, and she has started making memes about her mom's death on Instagram at Varsity Grief Squad. Thanks for listening, and please remember to rate and review the podcast. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome to another edition of the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have Nadine Manashi with me, and we totally have met on Instagram through our um, various grief accounts that she and I have both created. Um, And so she is on the West Coast, I am on the East Coast, and I'm thankful that she's here today and willing to share her story with us. So I am gonna turn it over to her and let her introduce herself and share her story. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So my name is Nadine. I am 27 years old um, and I live in Portland, Oregon. I lost my mom, Svetlana, in September of 2020 to uh, stage four lung, breast, and bone cancer. Um, it it all happened really quickly, honestly. Um, my mom, uh, it was one of the healthiest people I knew. Um, she was very early to the organic food movement in the 90s and Um, Most of my time spent with her was actually at the gym, lifting weights and doing Zumba classes. Um, So everything really, really came as a surprise. Um, I got married in September of 2019. And uh, three weeks later, I went to go to the movies with my mom. And we were watching the previews and she kept coughing. And I was like, mom, take a sip of my lemonade. And she kept saying, no, no. I'm like, bro, like, (laughs) stop. You're choking. Take a sip of my lemonade. She said, fine. And she kept coughing throughout the movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's weird. Probably went too hard at my wedding a couple of weeks ago. And the next day is when she was diagnosed three weeks after the wedding. So um, my mom had actually texted my husband midday, like go pick up Nadine from work and, and come over to our house. And my husband, Alex texted me this and said, I, I, she wanted you to finish your work day, but I'm probably going to come get you right now. I said, okay. And I just remember being very stoic about it. We were in the car and I was like, so something bad has happened. He said, yeah, I think something bad happened. And we were guessing what it might've been, uh, whether it was my grandma randomly dying, or maybe my dog had died. Um, maybe my dad wasn't doing well. Um, he has heart disease and, and some ongoing health issues. We had talked about everything happening except my mom being sick. We talked about my sister being in a car accident, like anything except something happening to my mom. And when we arrived, she just immediately lost it. Um, And they had really just found out they didn't really know much about it. All that she knew was that she had really serious 
lung cancer that had spread. And that was really all the information that they had been given so far. Um, and my dad said that he had done some Googling and she probably had three to six months. Um, and, you know, some people, I, I've heard people say, you know, when they go through something really serious, like, oh, I felt like I had to be the strong one or I, I became the strong one in my family. No, my dad literally turned to me and he said, Nadine, you're the strong one in the family now. Like, okay. Um, you know, obviously I cried a little bit at that time, but I, I also took that really to heart. Um, and for the next year, I, I was the strong one. Um, you know, my mom had said that she had been feeling pretty weird over that whole summer and, um, she was diagnosed with pneumonia and was on antibiotics and they didn't tell me a thing because I was in the heat of preparing for my wedding. Um, so it just immediately, it was like interacting with a different woman. Like one week she was weightlifting and feeling healthy. Actually the weekend before her diagnosis, she had gone on a nine mile hike with her friends. And the following weekend, it was like, it was an ill like woman who wasn't capable of taking care of herself anymore. And I think some of that was physical, but I think the majority of it was mental. Like the shift had immediately been made. Like I'm sick now. And really quickly, she, she went into immediate treatment because they knew it was serious, went into radiation and a couple of weeks in, she that they told her to stop walking because the the cancer had spread so much into her legs and they were worried about her breaking her bones. Like literally the woman who had just gone on a nine mile hike and we had been weightlifting. Now she was in a wheelchair. Um and I was really invested in in taking her to her treatments and really like trying to like do my best taking her out to lunch. I took her wig shopping. I, I would do anything for her. I was like bringing her food from all her favorite places. I just wanted to like be the strong one like my dad had told me. And we were in the car on the way to radiation one day and she got a call from the doctor and she was told that she also had breast cancer and that it was triple negative, which they said was very serious and very hard to treat. And it was just me and her in the car. And we were both like silent after this call. And I think that's when she like really realized that there was no way that she was going to beat this. Like she was really just doing it to like have some extra time with us. And I like, I just wanted to, to be the caregiver of the family. Um, my grandma and my mom's mom took it really, really hard. She was a breast cancer survivor. Her sister is a breast cancer survivor and she was losing her daughter before her eyes. I felt like I was caring for my mom. I was emotionally supporting my grandma every single day. Um, 
I would, you know, check in with my dad, who was the primary caregiver at home, obviously, and I was taking him out for beers and checking in on his mental health. My sister was away at college and checking in on her and making sure that, you know, she was feeling okay. And I, I couldn't imagine you know, how tough it was to like go through with her classes in her last year of college and balancing everything. So I, I felt like I was the ringleader of this like really sad circus. Um, and through this whole time, something that was even harder for me was that my mom was very private about it. Um, she never once posted on social media. She didn't even really like to like tell people in her life until it got really, really serious. Like obviously her best friends knew, but you know, she had classmates from growing up that she was close with who didn't know. And she just really kept to herself, especially when she was in pain and she was feeling helpless. She wasn't one to reach out really to anybody except her best friends and to her family. And I'm not really like that. I I need to find my support system and, and share things out with the world. And, you know, I grew up on social media and that's something that's really been a big part of my life. And I didn't really get to incorporate that. And obviously I wasn't one to make things about me. It wasn't something that I ever brought up with her, but in retrospect, that was something that was really, really difficult for me, which is, you know, what led me to, ultimately starting an Instagram account about my grief. But we ended up having um, a lot longer than three to six months with her. Um, my mom was alive for 50 weeks after she got sick. Um, and that that somehow felt like enough time to process the whole situation. But um, my mom passed during the coronavirus pandemic, and um, I mean, there, there's nothing about that that's easy. Um, luckily, my family did find ways to spend time together, and, and we were in a pod, so I wasn't away from my mother during most of the pandemic, but um, last September, my mom was diagnosed with pneumonia in her quote-unquote good lung and she went to the hospital and um, it got really bad really quick um, and for those first several days we couldn't go see her. Um, it was just my dad um, and the policy at the hospital was if someone is going to be in your hospital room, that 24 hours belongs to them. So if my dad was going to spend any time with my mom, that meant that that whole 24 hours was his. So even if I wanted to come in for 15 minutes, that means my dad wouldn't be able to see her for the next 24 hours. And obviously we couldn't let that happen. So me and my sister and my husband um, came to the hospital window with our dog and we wanted to like wave and cheer and hold up signs and she could barely stand at the window. She was there, she was there for like three seconds and then she had to lay back down because her oxygen levels were so low and she was so weak. And that's kind of 
when I knew that um, she wasn't going to come back from the hospital. So actually the next day after that, um, my mom was moved to hospice. And after that, they let us come in and see her. So it was a Monday morning and the whole gang <laughs> came to the hospital room and it was so, so overwhelming. I brought my sister and my husband and my grandparents and my grandma's sobbing uncontrollably and you know, everyone has something that they want to say and it it was just so awkward. And all I wanted to do was like have someone on my wavelength to share this experience with. And I just, I didn't know that like anything I was feeling was normal. I thought that I was supposed to be inconsolable with my grandma, but I was just like void of emotion. I said, my mom's going to die today. And this is like the worst last meeting with her. And my grandma kept saying like, I'll come see you tonight. I'll have somebody come drive me. And then I'm going to come see you in the morning. And after we had dropped my grandparents off, I turned to my sister and I said, we're not coming back. Do you know that? And she said, yeah, I know that. And we both like kind of felt at peace after that conversation. We just like went to go grab some breakfast and we were like, that was the last time. And that's okay because we had those 50 weeks. Um, and she did pass that evening. My dad had actually texted me when she died. She, he just texted me, mom died. <laughs> and of course I had to be the strong one. So I just said, okay. And I immediately called our rabbi and our synagogue to start setting everything up so he could deal with the hospital. Um, I didn't even ask. I just went ahead and started doing it because I had been like the behind the scenes caretaker this whole time, trying to keep all the glue from coming undone. So, you know, I spent those next couple days like totally like not feeling anything. I just, from making the arrangements with the synagogue to, you know, coming over the next day, um, you know, to my dad's house and I wrote a eulogy to, the day following when the funeral was like, I, I felt like I was supposed to be like bereaved and experience grief. You know, I, I, I think I cried for like maybe a couple minutes before bed the night that she died, just because I was overwhelmed by, you know, calling my grandma to make sure she didn't want me to come over and calling the rabbi. And I texted my friends and, you know, trying to like tell my husband that I was okay. It was just so overwhelming to still have to be like managing everything that I didn't cry at the funeral. I, I remember walking, you know, back to the parking lot with the rabbi and it was just the two of us. I'm like, I don't know why everyone's freaking out. We knew that she was sick. <laughs> like, I'm not sad. Maybe I'm a little bit relieved even because we all kind of like get a piece of our lives back. And it, it kind of feels like, okay, knowing that, you know, this, this happened, like this is done and, you know, we're lucky that we got to see her and we're lucky that she's interred in Portland in a place where we can go 
you know, whenever we want to, like, this is all okay. And I just felt like so strange that I didn't feel sad. I actually went back to work the day after the funeral and no one really told me this straight up, but the feeling I got got from everybody was like, why are you here? You're supposed to be taking your bereavement days. I was like, I have nowhere better to be. I don't have any plans today. And so I went right back to work. I didn't feel anything. And it wasn't until like, really like several weeks later that I was like, maybe I need to find a different way to process my grief because I don't think this, you know, 90s movie, like, you know, crying at her grave is going to do it for me. Um, and I was really grateful that a friend lent me a copy of Dancing at the Pity Party by Tyler Fatter, um, which I have yet to return because I really like it a lot. <laughs> And it was a graphic novel about a young Jewish woman, just like me, who had lost her mother to cancer. I'm like, this is sad and hilarious at the same time. And this woman, who's just like me, is using her art and her creativity to tell her story. And her story is really important. And that got me thinking, like, my story is important and I have creativity and art to share with the world too, which is when Varsity Grief Squad was born. I started an Instagram account to share the humorous and the satirical aspects of grief. And as soon as I started making my first meme, I couldn't stop. I made 20 memes in the span of like 10 minutes because I had all these feelings inside of me that had no home all of these like really kind of disgusting thoughts about grief and loss that didn't seem like appropriate and weren't what I was taught was the way to grieve and I just started making these like hysterical caricatures of what I was feeling and as soon as I started posting them I started getting feedback that it was resonating with people and it became really clear to me that whether you're just like an oddly like satirical person like I am all of the time or not, there are still aspects of everybody's grief journey that are a little weird and it felt so, so comforting to have this creative community where people were feeling the same things that I was feeling and I could be a little weird and you know my rabbi liked them and my best friends who hadn't lost anyone in their lives liked them and it actually made it easier for me to talk to people about my grief because I could call up my friends and instead of being like hey is it okay if I talk about my dead mom for a while I could be like hey did you see that meme I posted today um yeah I've been feeling super weird about it like let's dive into it and they'd be like hell yeah um that was hilarious let's talk about your dead mom it's funny um and obviously my journey so far is very short my mom just died a couple months ago but I've had this weight lifted off my shoulders since starting 
this account and experiencing my grief in a new way. And I know that my grief is going to change a million more times throughout my life, but I'm really grateful to have this community where I get to meet people like you, Beth, and other people who want to share their grief journeys with the world. That's been something really, really magical. Well, I have to say, I told you this before we started recording, um, because sometimes with these accounts, it's hard to tell who the person is behind the account. Um, And so I was um, emailing Nadine and I told her I thought she was a high schooler because of the because of the humor and the content um, in your in your Instagram account. But it's so awesome. Everybody's grief journey is unique. Everyone has their own path and nobody's is right or wrong. And you are absolutely right. Your grief will change as you go through different seasons of your life. Um, But the fact that this is providing an outlet for you to start those conversations with your friends in an unawkward way um, and to feel the support of a community um, behind you when you get interaction from your from your memes. Um, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's great that you have found this. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I'd love to have a conversation outside of, outside of this with you because if this is the type of, um, you said, you know, you're satirical all the time. So you'd probably be a good match for my husband. He's the same exact way. <laughs> um, but so like, so I did a podcast on platitudes about those things that people say that don't get received in the way that they're intended, like the one that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And while you did this, you know, the SpongeBob meme on your account and it says, I am a head out and you did like three different of the platitude saying. So it's, it's the content, you know, is all, we all recognize the same content, but I think the humor is just, I think it's, it's, I laughed out loud. And then when I found out that you were 27 years old and an adult, I went back and laughed even more. (laughs) Thank you. Actually, right after I listened to the platitudes episode is when I made um, the evil Kermit meme. Okay. Um, because yeah. I was very inspired. I actually have a couple more in my arsenal about platitudes that are going to be coming up, but those really seem to resonate with people. People hate the platitudes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, didn't you use the one of Bernie? You have Bernie on here somewhere of too? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. When you disassociate an important work meeting, <laughs> I just found it on my phone. I um, do it almost every day. Okay. Good, good. Um, and so what kind of, what kind of, um, like besides meeting me, what else is that? What else is this um, account? Have you made any other connections? Like, are there any other benefits from it? That's, you know, since you're just starting out, I think it's great for us to share this kind of stuff and tell other people, you know, what kind of benefits it's providing. Yeah. I mean, I meet new people almost every day. Um, you know, I've gotten really close with like a couple actual people whose names I know and we DM back and forth. And there are some people who I just know them by their handle and we get to tag each other in funny stuff. And, um, you know, there are definitely other satirical accounts about grief and depression and all these other things. I'm not the only person doing this, but, um, you know, sharing each other's posts to our stories and just creating 
the, the grief community on Instagram is like the most supportive place to be. I've never seen anybody argue about anything. We're just like, <laughs> yeah, that's true all day long. So, you know, even though I've never, you know, obviously met anybody for lunch, you know, that I've interacted with on Instagram or anything like that, I know that I have a home for whatever weird thing that I'm feeling. Um, and now with the addition of, uh, the social networking app Clubhouse. I've been parts of, you know, different grief conversations there too. And being able to tell people about my account who maybe they're not on quote unquote griefstagram yet. Um, and they're not looking at grief content as frequently as I am. But anytime I get to tell somebody that, yeah, I make memes about my dead mom, they're like, yeah, uh, I didn't know that I needed that, but apparently I did. Um, everybody's lost somebody. Um, it's not a niche community. Um, grief hits all of us in different ways, and it's not just death. Um, you know, grief about global warming or the pandemic or, you know, things not going right in your life. There's grief about all sorts of things. And yeah, I make memes about my dead mom. But the feelings are, they're open to anybody. Mm -hmm. Oh, and most certainly after 2020, every single person experienced some sort of loss, whether it was a graduation or a wedding or, you know, there was, there was I don't think there was any kids in school, kindergartners that didn't get to go to school. That's huge for them. So yeah, yeah certainly after, after the uh, 2020, everyone has experienced um, some kind of loss for sure. Um, I, well, I don't want to to go back too much about about the journey, but um, I did I did when you talked about the doctor calling when you guys are in the car. Like, I I never thought that they did that over the phone. That always blows my mind that they call. You know what I mean? Like, don't you remember y'all? You always knew. Oh, if you had to go back to the doctor's office, like they called you to come in. Although I guess this was probably during the pandemic too, right? When she got the call about it was not during the pandemic yet. It was October of 2019. Okay. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, I always thought that you had to go back into the office too, but I think at that point, any news was bad news for her. I think mm. they just figured like, ah, this lady's dying. Let's just kind of let her know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, but that was with the triple negative breast cancer, right? Was when you guys were in the car. Um, yeah, it was yeah. a weird call. Yeah. There was a lot of unspoken tension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you made a meme about that? I would add that to your list. Oh, I yeah. should add that to my list. <laughs> yes, because my sister was, they were gave her, um, and this was in 2010, they gave it to her over the phone. And she called me that day and I just happened to be out walking. And I was like, they're wrong. They must be wrong. Like, you know, I immediately went to denial, but I was like, they, they wouldn't tell you that over the phone. That's wrong. They wouldn't do that over the phone. Um, so yeah, should definitely make a meme about that. I about dropping, dropping some news like that when like, you know, somebody's in the middle of something, something else is very, you know, they're not able to pay attention to the call that they're receiving because they're getting it over the phone. Yeah. Um, there's hundreds of little experiences that everyone goes through when they're 
when they care about someone who's dying that I don't even know how to meme them yet. Um, and I think I'll find those along the way, but how do you like meme the first time that somebody tells you that they have cancer? How do you meme, you know, uh, like someone shaving their head because their hair is patchy and it's falling out? I haven't figured out how to do it yet, but that's something that so many people have experiences with, and I want to find new ways to share that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although some part, parts of it might be hard to find the satire in it, you know, yeah. I don't know that some parts of it that are, are too personal or, or I don't know how you can make that twist. But if anybody can figure it out, I'm sure that you can. I appreciate it. And one of the things that I hadn't really thought about it until you said it about the grief community being so accepting, um, because I was literally ready to like ditch all social media. I think it was in the fall when I started Daughters Without Moms. And um, you're, you know, I never thought about it before, but you're right. There's no polarization in these accounts. There's no anybody saying, no, you're wrong and I'm right. And the data shows this and you know what I mean? Like there's no, because that's why I was getting ready to turn off my, all of my accounts was because of just all the, the polarization and the judgment and the shaming and um, there isn't any in that. And it's, and it's so bizarre. Um, Kelsey and I talked about this when I interviewed her that I love Kelsey, right? There's just something about you're in the club because you're in the club and it's just this automatic connection um, and commonality that just allows you to be like really, really, I don't know, just open and honest and um, you know, like she said, we had, she and I had a great conversation. She's like, and you're a stranger. I've never even met you, you know, before today. And it's just so bizarre that, 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 um, you know, happens just from unfortunately being a part of the club, but it's the same thing with your memes. Like, it's just, you, you have to resonate with people that are like, oh my gosh, the way that she said, this is just hits me. I get it. I get it. Um, so I think what you're doing is great. And I will just put on my mom hat for a minute because I, yeah, I could be your mother. I'm old enough to be your mom. Um, but when you were sharing, I mean, you did a lot of, um, you were checking in on everybody else. You had to be the person that was in control. Um, in retrospect, you know, that, that, um, that your mom was private about it and you didn't really have that time to be able to share and with your friends and stuff like that. I did, I wrote down, I said, well, who was checking in on you? You know? Who was checking in on me? I have some really great friends that were very, very caring, um, checking in on me through the process. And those friends are all still here. I know that grief is um, a time for a lot of people where friends kind of fall off the train um, because they don't know how to handle your grief. And luckily I have a great community around me that has been so, so supportive and so far so good um, with the friends. But um, I also started um, a group through the dinner party, um, which for those who don't know is um, an organization in the US for young adults who have experienced a loss. And um, they put together young adult bereavement groups. So I knew really like two months after the loss that I, 
I needed to find some like-minded people to talk to on a regular basis because my friends were awesome, but everyone, you know, has their own things. And I didn't want to ever feel like I was a burden, even though my friends would never tell me that I'm a burden. But I um, took uh, the like facilitation training class through the dinner party. It was just a two day, um, you know, Zoom training. And a couple of weeks later, I had a group of awesome people who wanted to spend every other week with me talking about our dead parents. Um, so that's something that's been really, really awesome. I would definitely recommend the dinner party to, to anybody. And, you know, I had a, a pretty big group of about 12 at first, and it's dwindled down a little bit. Um, but now I really, really look forward to that time together of like, just me and like, four or five other women all around the same age who have all lost parents. And we, I don't have to prompt them at all, even though I'm technically the facilitator. We just, we've become comfortable with each other now and we know each other's stories and each other's relationships. And it's nice to just be able to launch into like, I was feeling this weird thing yesterday and tell me about a time where you felt that weird thing because I need to feel like it's not so weird. And that's been awesome to go from strangers to like a really supportive group of women. That's awesome. I've never heard about that before because I have a niece and nephew who are 25 and 22, um, you know, my sister's children. And um, I'm going to definitely tell them about that. So your group, like once you start it, does it, it's not open for new people to join you? Um, I think it, it can be, it's dependent on the host. Okay. Um, but there are new tables that are started all the time. And obviously right now, everything is um, virtual mm-hmm. over Zoom, but mm-hmm. it started as um, getting people who live near each other together to meet in person and have dinner. But I'm really enjoying talking to people around the country who um, have different upbringings and different stories to share. That's mm-hmm. been really nice. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and I, it's, it's kind of sad that it, I, I don't think anything like that exists for people who aren't young adults. Obviously, you know, young adults deserve the support, you know, people who lose their parents too young. But I think people of any age need that same support. That's really easy to find because when you're experiencing grief, especially at first, like it's so hard to reach out for help and you don't know where to turn and you don't know where to find the right group of people to talk to. So having an organization like the dinner party and having this awesome Instagram community, that's so accessible. I think that's really the most important thing. Like there needs to be more outreach. Yeah, I totally agree. We do a horrible job of supporting people in that moment um, because they're already feeling so, you know, their whole world is turned upside down and then the isolation because you said, you know, it's hard, it's hard to start those conversations um, about the grief. So that's one of the, the things that I, you know, I'm hoping to do, to just raise awareness about that, you know, about the platitudes and about the fact that we have to be able to be there for people when they're in their grief um, or, or a year after the grief or whenever they decide that they're ready uh, to deal with it. But just pushing it all in and bottling it up is not it's going to come out sooner or later. It's not, it's not healthy for people. So good for you. I've learned all kinds of things for you. I'm going to put that in the notes too. the dinner party. 
um, and the name. So do you have an a, account for that or is that that's a national organization I should be able that to find? Is a national organization, yes. They are also on Instagram and post really good content. So they're definitely part of my daily scroll as I'm, you know, communicating with my grief community. Um, okay. but yeah, that that all happens through their website. Okay. And the book, I know I wrote it down, um, Dancing at the Pity Party. I'm going to find that and link that into the show notes. And then um, your account, uh, we'll make sure that I put that in there so that people can find you there. Um, so I normally try to wrap up with some sort of piece of advice or something that you've learned that you'd like to share. You know, we all know that everyone's grief journey is different, um, but just, is there anything last thing that you, or your favorite meme or your, you know, I don't know, something that you would like to share with the people who are listening? I think what I want to share is that there's always someone out there that's feeling the things that you feel. And especially during the pandemic, when we're, we feel all alone, it's really easy to get into your head and think that you're the only person who wants to drop any everything and run away from home. And maybe that's just me. Um, but to, it's so hard, like I said, to reach out for help and, and to find your community, but there's always someone going through the things that you're going through. And um, I think that support, especially right now when we're feeling disconnected is really, really crucial. So do reach out. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for what you're doing on Instagram, providing that outlet um, of humor that we need and that uh, reaches so many people. And I look forward to seeing where the journey leads you in this. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.